This week's shiurim are dedicated in memory of Harav Hillel Gershon ben Avraham Finkelstein. Tehei nishmato tzrora b'tzrora chayim. This is KMTT. Tuesday, Parshat HaShavua, will be delivered by Harav Alex Israel. This week's Parsha is Parsha Tzitzavah. And uh, when we look at this Parsha, there are several themes which seem to weave an interesting tale um, as they meander through the Parsha, um, finding their different expressions in many, many different um, Parshiot and guises in this week's uh, Parsha Shavua. Um, I'm going to try and elaborate on some on several of these themes and hopefully they will all somehow strand together to create a very complete picture by the time we finish. When we look at Parshat Tzitzaveh, maybe the most uh, prominent uh, narrative that everybody talks about, or the most prominent aspect that everybody talks about, are the very grand and beautiful clothes of the Kohanim. And one wonders why they have to be clothed in such an ornate way, First we see, and the most prominent amongst them, are the clothes of the Kohen Gadol, the high priest. We have the Ephod, which is some sort of apron, the Choshen Mishpat, the Me'il, and the Tzitz, the golden head plate. And we are told in the opening line of, of these uh, beautiful clothing of the Kohen Gadol, Basita Bigdei Kodesh L'Haron Achicha L'Chavod Ulitifarat. You should make Holy clothes for Aharon, your brother, lechavod for honor or litifarat and for splendor. They are lechavod or litifarat. They are for honor and for splendor. These are really splendid royal clothes. And when I'm thinking about this, I'm wondering what is the purpose of such uh, beautiful clothing. And here I want to start uh, maybe my first theme as we open up the Sefer Chinuch. And I denote throughout the Parsha, according to the Sefer Chinuch, a clear sense of aesthetics, of uh, the need for beauty, and for a sense that the Migdash, or the Mishkan, the tabernacle, the temple, has to be pleasing to the senses. Let us uh, take a few examples. Now this is not going to only relate to the clothing of the Kohanim, which are, which are beautiful and grand, uh, clearly create an impressive imp- impression, but it actually focuses from the beginning of the, the Parshat Shavuot till the end. After all, the first mitzvah of the Parsha is uh, to light the menorah, to light the candelabra in the Mishkan. Here's what the Sefer Achinuch says. The root of this mitzvah uh, is that God wanted to have a candle lit in this holy house, in order to raise the honor and the splendor of this house in the sight of everybody who saw it. Because all of us in our house, we want to have light. Um, And indeed, that when a person sees um, a house which is illuminated, this will enhance it, and they will see it in a sense of of greatness and 
um, approach it in an atmosphere of humility. That's true about the first mitzvah of the parsha, and it's also true about the final mitzvah of the parsha. The final mitzvah of the parsha is the idea of uh, making a golden altar for incense. And again, why do we need incense, sweet-smelling spices, um, in the temple? Again, the Sefer HaChinuch tells us, Mishor the aim of this mitzvah is to raise the honor of this house and its level and fear should be over everybody who encounters it. And he says, very interesting point. You can't raise something in somebody's mind unless you do it in such a way that it will appeal to the human sense of greatness and grandeur. It will be elevating and pleasing or pleasurable, impressive to the senses. And the Chinuch continues and says, and it is well known that the notion of a beautiful smell, we are very affected by our senses, and this is something which attracts a person's soul, attracts a person's heart, and therefore it was critical to have uh, pleasant smells in the Mikdash. And suddenly we gain this impression that uh, much of the parsha has to do with aesthetics, um, the beautiful clothing, the illumination of the Mishkan, the sweet-smelling Mishkan, and that is what we... Uh, one theme of the parsha. Now, some of you might be listening to this and saying, well, this seems a little bit, you know, too much on the surface. Is the Mishkan merely a palace for God, which has to be um, pleasing to the eye, pleasing to our sense of smell and sight? Isn't there something deeper? In fact, uh, many people have noticed that or noted that the word uh, beged we talk about the big kuna, but the word beged relates to the notion of begida, of betrayal. The words uh, even even in English we say uh, to fabricate something. It is very easy to um, use clothing, use beautiful smells, use beautiful uh, lighting in order to create an impression. But how true is that impression? How real is that impression? How deep is that impression? Um, might all of this beauty be just a facade on the outside in order to create a nice impression? Do the Bide Guna not have something, not some, have something deeper, not have something more true, more real? And I would like to, pro, I, by the way, uh, before we move to a deeper level, I do think the Sefer Chinuch is, is relating to something very important. There is no doubt that, uh, one cannot create a platform for God uh, on a flimsy foundation. Uh, we all exist through certain social conventions and through uh, the way in which human beings uh, interact. And therefore, it was, wasn't for nothing that Hashem decided that the Mishkan should be filled with gold and the finest uh, fabrics and finest uh, materials. 
And uh, that is true also about uh, Shlomo HaMelech's Beit HaMikdash. And uh, I don't think we should uh, diminish or minimize the aspect of aesthetics, because if really this is going to be an impressive environment, an environment that can make an impact, it certainly has to impress on the human level. And after all, human beings are, uh, are we are impressed by these things. So we shouldn't, um, we shouldn't deflect or put down this aesthetic uh, aspect. I think it's something very real. However, I think we do appreciate that we're looking for something deeper. And in looking for something deeper, I want to survey the parasha to understand at least uh, two further themes that we have in parasha Tetzaveh. The first is the notion of Kohanim. The parasha begins with uh, the appointment of the Kohanim. The appointment of, the, of, of particularly Haron and his sons. But if you look from the beginning of the parasha to its very end, Aharon is mentioned in every single parasha. It is true in the initial parasha, which is about the menorah. Uh, in the lighting of the, mor- the menorah, it says that um, who should light the menorah, who should light the candelabra? Ya'aroch oto Aharon uvanav me'ered adboka lifnei Hashem. Aharon will light it from evening till morning every single day. The next section, chapter 28, describes the appointment of Aharon. All of the sons of Aharon are detailed here, are mentioned, are listed here. And what follows, obviously, is a theme related to the Kohanim, to the priests, because we have all of the clothes of the priests in chapter 28. The next chapter, chapter 29, deals with the appointment of the priests and what we call the Miluim. The Miluim is a seven-day ceremony um, which dedicates or inaugurates the Kohanim. For seven days they have to get dressed each day in their special priestly garb and they have to bring a selection of korbanot, of sacrifices each day and engage in a very detailed uh, process, a uh, ceremonial process on, on each day. And uh, as I say, this this is repeated for an entire week. And uh, the reason why this is called the Miluim is because it tells us it is Lamalebam etyadam. It is to fill their hands. And in the Tanakh, this phrase "fill your hands" indicates uh, an appointment to high office. You are being given a job that fills your hands. You are now being given an activity. This is the Miluim. It is. Uh, intimately related to the appointment of the Kohanim, the priests. There are two more uh, parshiot in, in Parshat Tzaveh. One deals with the Korban Tamid, the daily sacrifice, which, of course, is is uh, performed by the Kohanim. However, the Kohanim aren't explicitly mentioned to do with the, the sacrifice itself. But what is mentioned is like this. The... The Korban Tamid comes in the context of the Mizbech Aula. It, it introduces, it's introduced with the phrase, This is what you shall do on the altar. In other words, uh, we've described the altar, but now we want to know how to use it. And th- we use it with the Korban Tamid, the daily sacrifice, one um, lamb in the morning and one lamb in the, in, in the afternoon. 
But at the end of this, we're told why are we bringing these uh, sacrifices on the altar? It says, I will meet you there. Uh, I will there. I will meet B'nai Israel, or I will convene with B'nai Israel, says God. And they will be sanctified by my honor. The Kidashti et al and I will sanctify the tent of meeting, the Mishkan itself, the et and the altar. The et Aron ve et Banava In other words, at some level, the sanctity of the Kohanim, the sanctity of the priests, is related to uh, this too. And the last parasha which is the uh, notion of the katorat, of the incense, also mentions three times Aharon. V'iktir alav Aharon katorat samim baboker baboker, uvalot Aharon etanei rot bein arabayim, and at the end, v'chiper Aharon al karnotav achabashana. So one of the themes of the parsha is the notion of, of kuna. Now, what we might think that, uh, therefore, this combination of the clothes which are for kavod ulitifaret, for splendor and honor, and the mentioning of aharon, it means that this is all about boosting the status of the kohanim. That everything here is about uh, making sure that the kohanim are at the are the elite of the people. They are at the pinnacle of the uh, social ladder of the social framework of B'nai Israel, but I think that would be a mistaken impression. Because, and here we get to our second theme, our second running theme, which is that everything which is said about the Kohanim is that they are actually uh, messengers or active agents, shlichim, of B'nai Israel. And here, once again, we will follow through the parsha and develop this theme. Let me explain. The opening line of the parsha. Who takes the oil for the menorah? It is B'nai Yisrael. And they are Lahalot Ne'er Tamir. And eventually when it says, Who should light the candles? Even though Aharon lights the menorah, it is Me'et B'nai Yisrael. Let's continue. The appointment of the Kohanim. The appointment of the Kohanim is mitoch b'nei Yisrael. They are appointed from the midst of b'nei Yisrael. From the midst of b'nei Yisrael they are appointed. Mitoch b'nei Yisrael. How about the special clothes of the Kohanim? The special clothes of the Kohanim, what are they for? We said before, it is l'chavod ulitifaret, but Actually, if you look at each of the clothes of the Kohanim, they have a purpose clause. When we look at the purpose clause of the ephod, let's take a look. The ephod is some sort of apron, which is worn by the high priest. And on that apron are two precious stones. And on those precious stones is actually written, the on each stone are six of the names of the tribes are engraved into those stones. Shishamish motamala even achat. They're written in birth order of the twelve tribes, and they're engraved, and they're put on the two shoulders of the Kohen. Now, what is the purpose of the Kohen um, having two stones on his shoulders with the names of B'nai Yisrael? Listen to what it says here. These are Avnezi Karon Yisrael. These are stones which... Um, 
carry the memory of Bnei Israel, carry the presence of Bnei Israel. Aaron will carry their names before God on his two shoulders as a zikaron, as a memorial, as a testimony to God. Interestingly enough, on the most impressive of Aaron's garments, the the, the Choshed Mishpat, once again, there are now 12 stones, and each stone has one of the names of the tribes, the Shemot Bnei Israel. And once again, Nasa Aharon, the Nasa Aharon at Shemot Bnei Israel, Aharon will carry the names of the tribes of the children of Israel, the Choshed Mishpat Alibo on his heart when he comes into the sanctuary, Zikaron Lifnei Hashem Tamid. It should be continually a memory for Bnei, for, of Bnei Israel before God. Um, in other words, the Karnim had a special status, but it is always tied into the status of Bnei Israel. The two are inextricably linked. Lest we think this doesn't continue, the sits, the um, headband of the Kohen Gadol made out of gold. What does it say there? That Aaron will bear the sins of the sacrifices which Bnei Israel sanctify and he will carry this before God. In other words, everything that the high priest is doing is somehow on behalf of Bnei Israel. This continues throughout the parsha. I mentioned before the um, end of chapter 29, where it says, um, and I'll read you the, the Sukkim, you can see how linked they are. At the altar I will meet Bnei Israel, and they will be sanctified by my honor. In other words, first it says, I will meet Bnei Israel, and then I will sanctify the priests. And then it goes back to Bnei Israel, the Shachanti Batoch Bnei Israel, Baiti Lahem Lelohim. What is clear is that the Kohanim are in a very special place, but they are really only there on behalf of Bnei Israel, um, and they are there as their agents. They are there as their messengers. The Kohanim are there to be the representatives of the entire Jewish people. So when we read about this special role of the Kohanim, which seems to permeate from beginning of the parasha to the end, we should not imagine that we are developing some sort of um, national elite uh, class of, of priests who have special privileges, but rather we should see them as somehow carrying B'nai Israel before God. Now, here I want to relate to yet another theme which appears continually throughout the parsha. And as I use the word continually, I understand why I used it, because it's the word tamid. The parsha is replete with the word tamid. It comes from the beginning till the end. Again, I'll mention all the references. The idea is that we are describing a parsha where first the menorah, lahalot ner tamid, that the candles should be lit at all times. Later on, we will talk about the 
names of Bnei Israel, the Choshen Mishpat, bringing God, the names of the of of uh, Bnei Israel, Lifnei Hashem Tamid, in chapter twenty-eight, verse thirty. Later, the Tzitz Vahaya Al Mitzcho Tamid. Of course, this is developed further on with the Olat Tamid. Um, we have the daily sacrifice, which is Kvasim Beneshana Shnaim Layom Tamid. On a regular basis, we have the sacrifice, morning and evening, morning and evening. The Olat Tamid Ludorotechem Petachom Oed, the constant sacrifice. And indeed, it's interesting, when we use the word Tamid, do we mean continually or uh, with regularity? Um, of course, the uh, lights of the menorah were not lit, lit 24 hours a day. They were lit uh, once a day. Uh, or, for example, the Korban Tamid was not continual. It was uh, regular. It was um, it was offered up every morning and every evening, uh, creating a certain sense of rhythm. This Tamid doesn't mean it's always there. But by doing something in a regular pattern, it sort of gives the impression this is a uh, constant. And, of course, uh, we have the same thing with the Ketoret in the final bit of the parasha. Ketoret Tamid Lifnei Hashem Ledorotichem. Um, it is a Ketoret, always Tamid, all the time. What I'm trying to say, I think, is that um, we are introducing in Parsha, if, if Parsha Truma dealt with the architecture of the Mishkan and actually established the, the house, it actually established the structure of the Mishkan, an arena for the ability for us to engage in the Avodah, in the service of God, Parshat Tzavah takes us to a new stage. Suddenly, we have uh, the Kohanim, who are the central messengers, Me'et B'nai Israel. Apparently, it is too uh, difficult for B'nai Israel to constantly engage with the Temple, as we read later on in Sefer Bamidbar, Bahazar HaKarev Yumat. It would appear that the requisite sanctity that is necessary in order to engage with the temple or, or the pre- preparedness that is needed. So we see the, the very elaborate preparations of seven days to sanctify the Kohanim. This is not something that an ordinary commoner can uh, can go through. And therefore, these pedantic preparations which the Kohanim go through are not something for themselves, but they are actually me'it b'nei Yisrael. They are on behalf of b'nei Yisrael but their aim is that there should be a constant connection, a tamid, a constant connection between God and Israel. And it is this point that I would like to return back to the theme that we began, which is the uh, theme of the clothing. Um, we began by saying that the clothing have a certain aesthetic effect, along with many other features of this week's Parshat Shavua. But... To the clothing of the Kohanim or the various different uh, begadim of the eight different garments of the Kohen Gadol, do they do anything further? What, what exactly? How do they function? How do they? How do they work? Um, in order to create this sense of tamid, in order to create this sense of uh, connection between God and Israel, and I would like to relate to maybe two different themes here. Two different themes with the with with uh, with these clothes and what effect they might have. 
The first theme is is almost, if we can talk about such a thing, is sort of an effect that they will have on on God. And let me try and explain. There are here. I'm going to focus on on three of the purpose clauses that appear in this week's parsha. I've already I've already read it, but I will I will read it again. We have first the ephod, the apron, which carries uh, the names of Bnei Israel on on their shoulders, and we're told that these are avnezikaron, as stones of, of testimony or of memorial stones for Bnei Israel, and Aaron will carry the names before God on his shoulders, lezikaron. We also have the choshen, which sits on top of the ephod with the it's the breastplate of the kohen gadol. It's called the choshen mishpat. And that is also, he will carry it on his heart when he comes into the sanctuary, it should be a memorial for God. Um, and again it says, he will carry the judgment of B'nai Israel on his heart before God. What is this notion of the zikaron of B'nai Israel which stands before God at all times? This word zikaron, uh, which might mean memory, or it is a very critical word in the in the Tanakh, and there are many places where God remembers vayizkor. In, in many of these places, it indicates actually a turning point in the story. I can think of a few instances in the Torah in which we see this. Let me give a, an example. Well, I'll give a few examples. One will be from the, the story of the flood in uh, Bereshit, Perakhet, chapter 8. We we see the flood waters swelling and swirling, and uh, the flood has now been, after 40 days of, of rain, 40 days and nights, and after 150 days with the flood waters on earth, Things might seem uh, desperate. But then it says, God remembered Noach and all the animals. And we might say, you know, what does it mean? And God remembered Noach and all of the animals in the ark. Does God, did God forget them? Well, of course he didn't forget them. But the phrase here actually is not so much a cognitive gesture on God's part, but rather indicates a sort of a change of fortunes, because the very next phrase is, And God made his wind pass over the earth, and the water began subsiding. In other words, the phrase indicates a, a reversal. It indicates a reversal of fortunes. By his car indicates the point at which God is willing to change our fortunes for, for the better. And this is consistent in many other places. We read in, for example, in Bereshit chapter 30, we read about uh, Rachel, uh, Rachel Imenu. Um, Rachel, Rachel, who is barren, she cannot have children, and she desperately wants children. And um, she's used all sorts of ploys and techniques to try and have children to no avail. And suddenly it says, God remembered Rachel and he listened to her. And of course, what does it mean God remembered Rachel and he listened to her? If he listened to her, that means she's calling out to him. 
What does it mean he remembered her? No, what it means is he changes her fortunes for the better. He reverses what happens to her. Now, instead of being barren, she will have children. And indeed, that's exactly what happens. He opens her womb, and now she has her first son, Yosef. A similar um, pattern applies in Shemot chapter 2, at the end of chapter 2 of Shemot, where the children of Israel find themselves in the depths of slavery. And in the depths of slavery, the they cry out to God, and there again it says, God remembers his covenant. Once again, uh, if God had forgotten about his covenant, how would, uh, what does it mean, he remembered his covenant? No, he remembers his covenant, and in the very next line, um, he appears to Moshe in the, in the burning bush, already sending the messenger to change their fortunes, to reverse the situation of the Jewish people, from from one of slavery to one of freedom. In other words, the notion of God remembering us by his car isn't so much a, a, a God remembering, but rather God uh, sort of bringing us to that to that tipping point, to that changing point. And now I want to relate to one to, to maybe a fourth a fourth text. The notion of God remembering us, the notion of zikaron. Uh, should be familiar from another from another parsha, Bamidbar chapter ten, and there we talk about the notion that in a situation of war, when when war comes against your land, when the enemy attacks, take out the trumpets and blow a truah. The notion that we can somehow um, call out to God. In this case, it's not our voices which call out, but it is the trumpets which blow an alarm. And this alarm can suddenly bring God to uh, create a tipping point for us, a change of fortunes for us. And he remembers us. And what does that mean, remembering us? Changing our fortunes. We're not going to be attacked. We will be saved. And the, it continues there in Bamidbar chapter 10 that even on our happy days, if we blow a tkiah to God, Apparently the role of the Kohen, I said, was to represent B'nai Israel before God. And here we don't need to blow any shofar. Here, um, the role of the Kohanim are to be a constant representative for the Jewish people in the Holy, in the Kodesh, in the Holy of Holies. And uh, the way that the Kohen engages in this is by wearing his clothes. And what is so special about his clothes? His clothes contain the names of B'nai Israel. Fascinatingly enough, the names of B'nai Israel are expressed in two ways. One is where they are written the Toldotam according to age order on his shoulders. Six on one shoulder, six on the other shoulder. There's no preference, there's no prestige to anyone. Uh, amongst these twelve children will also be, obviously, Levi, the tribe of the Kohanim. They're not separated out. The twelve tribes are put onto his... Sh- and at other times, everybody has their own stone. Am Israel are each tribe according to their own personality. 
there are, we are a collective, we are together, six and six, I guess you have to divide them up in a symmetrical way, but we are actually a collective. The presence of B'nai Israel, he carries these stones in, and he's almost saying to God, you have a covenant with us, we are, um, if I'm not mistaken, 16 times, now it only comes up 18 times. It's used all the time in reference to El, and you have to you have to pay attention to us. It is fascinating that I said that the word Tamid comes up in the parsha um, frequently. And uh, when you look through the Torah and you investigate the word Tamid, you will see that it almost exclusively comes in regard to uh, the Jewish people serving God. Always in the context of the temple, the word Tamid comes up. Tamid is a word which is used, the word Tamid, meaning continually, is used in the Torah, which covers the Mishkan on a regular basis. In other words, we express our Tamid towards God by doing our word Tamid is used in a different context, and it's used about God. And when is this used? Well, there are two places. One is where the word Tamid is used to express God's uh, constant looking over B'nai Israel, and this appears in Bamidbar, where we talk about the cloud of glory, the um, pillar of cloud or the pillar of fire, which, the cloud always covers the Mishkan, and at night it looks like fire. And there we're told in, in Devarim chapter 11, we're talking about the land of Israel, and um, we're talking uh, in the Torah, and that uh, instance of Tamid is actually something which is not relegated to the confines of the Mishkan, but it is actually relegated to, it's actually expanded to Eretz Israel as a whole, and Israel. They serve Tamid. And their role is to wear these clothes, which aren't only their Lechavodunitifaret, it is a land which God seeks, Tamid Enei Hashem Elokechaba, God always seeks this land. So, I guess what I'm trying to say here, and what I'm saying is that the Karnim serve on behalf of them everything that we need, uh, all the blessings that we need in, in response to our service. The clothes are there to actually carry the memory of B'nai Israel before God, and then we Tamil, always, and we hope that God will reciprocate and look out for us, both in the Mishkan and wider, farther, further afield throughout Eretz Israel, by giving us his bountiful grace, by giving us uh, out to God, but also to transmit something of God to B'nai Israel. And this is not only in the realm of L'chav, the big day Kohanim, are somehow to represent B'nai Israel before God. However, I think the reverse is also true. Um, obviously, the Bidei Kornah are also there, not only to transmit something of B'nai Israel, is written, Kodesh Lashem, holy to God. However, according to tradition, there is another with one very um, phenomenal idea by Rav Soloveitchik. Rav Soloveitchik suggests, well, he, he notes that there are on the, on the headband of the Kohen Gadol, which is made out of pure gold, organs of the body, on the head, the seat of the intellect, we have Kodesh Lashem in his heart. 
there is also a hidden um, a hidden piece of uh, of something which says on it Kodesh Lashem. Um, and essentially, Rav Soloveitchik says that this is on two very special int- should resonate with Kodesh Lashem. Sometimes the word of God comes to us in perfect clarity in Gadol. However, there are other times when Kodesh Lashem, when the notion of God coming to us, comes through the breastplate of pure gold in the clear intellect and the clear ideas. But sometimes Kodesh Lashem is deep inside. It has to be a far more impenetrable. Emotions are sometimes difficult to, to encapsulate. More than that, the Choshen Amishpat is a weave. It's a weave of all different fabrics. And even furthermore, it contains the 12 stones with each of the tribes of B'nai Israel. Sometimes, Kodesh Lashem, the sanctity of God, comes to us in the... But these clothes also belie a message of what God should be to us. And that God manifests itself, gated through all of the difficulties and problems of the various different sects, factions and tribes of B'nai Israel. In other words, we're not only expressing a message of what we are to God, we should be Lizikaron if Hashem, that God should be able to change our fortunes from um, bad to good, that God should always keep up the Big Day Kuhuna, and the Khan in themselves are a sort of conduit. They're a they are a, a means of transmitting ideas, transmitting messages of what we are to God, what's in mind, Tamir, but also that we should always be cognizant of Kodash Lashem. We should be cognizant of the presence of God at all times. Thank you very much. Shabbat Shalom.